0: You know, I was going through some, um, some uh, there's a few people that I really love to follow on social media. The majority of them are brethren, but just because of their posts are so encouraging. Um, you see, I probably used that word already 10 times. That's our word, is how to think about encouraging, how to stimulate one another, how to, how to provoke one another to do good things and, and think about what ought to be thought about. But one of the posts he had, I thought was very hilarious. It was a post of um, church bulletin announcements or from the pulpit, announcements made for the church. And they were typos or the way they were worded didn't sound quite right. And here's you can, you can kind of see why. Here's a few examples of um, the following. Ladies... Don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. <laughs> Remember, church, don't let uh, visitors, don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. Miss <laughs> Charlene Mason saying, I will not pass this way again, giving a obvious pleasure to the congregation. For those of you who have children and don't know and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. Uh, there's a few of my favorites here. It says, "Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days." Let's do one more. Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 p.m. Please use the back door. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things in our lives that we find ourselves doing or saying accidentally, right? I, I don't know about you. There, there are some phrases that I will not use behind the pulpit this morning that the world uses. We might use to reference people who just they do or say things accidentally all the time. It's just kind of their thing, right? My, my, uh, my family has a lot of those people in them. They do things unintentionally, it just, you know, I didn't mean for it to come out that way, it just did. And so that person's used to like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. But you know, this is a great example of, of people who mean well, um, but by accident or unintentionally, there's a, round, uh, there's a wrong outcome. Well, this morning's passage, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24 through the following, is the opposite of accidental. It's the opposite of unintentional. You are working, you are preparing, you are readying your mind to accomplish what the Hebrew writer states in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let's remind ourselves what he just said. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse number 24. If you have your Bibles, uh, follow along with me. And let us consider. That word consider means to set your mind down. To set or plant your mind down on something. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so it's interesting to note that the emphasis here is not on what a believer gets from the assembly, but rather on what you and I can contribute to the assembly. You know, sometimes, and I understand why, there are days when we feel as low as you can possibly feel. Man, the world has kicked us to the curb and we feel as if we're flat on our backs staring straight up at the sky saying, what now? Obviously, the best place to go is here, is it not? While that is true, That should not be the only motivation for why we're here. Because here in this context, tells us that the worship service is not about me. I preached a sermon titled, It's Not About Me. Right, and that's the idea is, what can I get out of service? What can can I be made into after hearing the sermon preached? How can this do do what's best for me? And it's always more internally focused. But the Hebrew writer says, you are to consider, you're to set your mind down thinking about how you're going to stir up or stimulate your brothers and sisters. Now, I was thinking about how this could be put into maybe just a phrase. I love catchphrases. And so, you know, the night before, hopefully this is you, you're preparing for services in the morning. You know, we have this saying at home is, You know, getting ready for church doesn't start Sunday morning. It starts Saturday evening. You are preparing your mind. You're preparing your hearts. You're preparing your children. And how do you do that? Well, girls, you need to get up and go get your dress that you're going to wear tomorrow and lay it out. Dad, if you have uh, to make out a check for contribution, you should, as, as the men who get up here and preach and teach on about, do so well. The amount of funds that I give to God shouldn't be just something impulsive that uh, whatever I have on me, but it should be thought about beforehand. It should be funds that are placed aside deliberately for the giving to the Lord's church. All of those things we do pre- to prepare, right? Some of us are like, uh, yeah, yeah, right. That's that's the if everything goes perfectly, right? But this passage made me think about not only should I be laying out my church um, dressing, my church clothes, my writing out my check for the giving, but I also need to preparing my mind for who I'm going to encourage tomorrow. That should also be in my list of to-dos Saturday. And so when I think about this in um, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, basically, if we fail to interact with one another on a regular basis, The Hebrew writer says, then we don't encourage one another like we ought to. How many of us are encouraged by people we don't speak to or or we are not around? It's impossible, right? I can't be encouraged by somebody I don't see, I don't hear, I don't be able to to hug and, and be encouraged. So how in the world am I going to encourage somebody if I'm not simply present? Now, there are some passages in the Bible that give us great pieces of advice when it comes to encouragement, one of which, if you were here for Bible class, we went over. Well, the majority of those passages don't specifically mean when and where that ought to be done. But here in Hebrews chapter 10, this is specifically what we would refer to as a worship context. In other words, this ought to be accomplished when we come together. Notice this phrase in verse 25 not neglecting to meet together. That is the Greek word, episunagogen. Uh, it's where we get the English word synagogue. It simply means to gather together at, a same, at the same location. It means to come together in person, to be able to see and hear and touch and, and you're in the midst of one another. That's what church is. The church is not the building The church is um, not what we come into. The church, the assembly, both is who you and I are as members of the body, but it's also what we do when we assemble. Does that make sense? So church is who we are, but it's also what we do. Because when we assemble, when we come together, that's exactly what the Hebrew writer says. But I think for us to really get this context, we've got to go back to the passage that was talked about uh, in Bible class. I will try not to uh, kind of overlap so much, but this is important. Go back to chapter 3 of Hebrews. Go back to chapter 3. Now look at verses 12 and 13 with me, please. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Here the author says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading to you to fall away from the living God. But exhort. That's the same word a lot of us have as encourage. This is the same word found in chapter 10 and verse 25 when he says, But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Same word, same concept, same theme. He says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So what does does this have to do with stimulating others to love and good deeds and encouraging one another? Well, I think it does two things. Number one, it helps us to identify something we have in common, and we can encourage each other. Here's an example. I'm a Detroit Tigers fan. There's not many of us, really, I think, even alive. There's very few of us out there in the world. And rightfully so. We're, we've not been very well for a long time. But that's my team. And the other, what, there'll be times when I'm out and about, and we're just kind of doing our own thing, maybe um, running errands or going to the store. And every once in a great while, I'll come across a Detroit Tigers fan. And... This is what happens. We're walking along, and I'm wearing a shirt, and he's wearing a hat, and we go. And he goes. There is an instant connection. Instant. Now I feel like that's my best friend. There is a connection because we've identified something in common that not everybody has. Matter of fact, the majority of people do not have that in common with us. And I'll tell you, the conversation from there is smooth sailing. Everything, it seems like all of a sudden we have the same view in all of the world. But you think about why you're here today. And you think about as you are taking the Lord's Supper. And you're taking the lid off and you're taking one of the pieces of the unleavened bread and you're passing it on to the others. Look at each other. Because in looking at each other, you are identifying another person who also shares this in common with you. You are identifying somebody that has placed their complete trust in the same Lord that you have. How beautiful is that? You know, in Matthew chapter 7, it talks about the the narrow way and the wide road. And he says the narrow road, that there are very few that take that narrow road. Church, I wish the percentage was that all of us in this room, 100%, will see each other in heaven one day. But that's simply not the truth. The reality is there are people here who will choose to disobey and continue to fall away to their own lusts and to their own lives, and they will forsake the Lord. There are not many that are going to arrive at the kingdom but imagine if we start to view other people as right now we are on the same path going to the same destination do you think now we share something a little bit more in common that means something like it means a lot for you to call Jesus your lord that encourages me how because i'm not alone now in the world in my secular job i'm the only christian You know, I hear filthy talk going around. I hear um, ungodly speech. I hear gossip and slander and cursing. I hear actually people condemning the belief in God. And I feel so out of this world, but I come here and I'm around people who have light, precious faith, Peter would say. Now, how beautiful is that? And so that's why he says that in chapter 3 of verse 14, for we have come to, what's that word? share or partake in Christ. It is a beautiful thing when you meet another fellow human being that shares in Christ with you. They share it. You share. Think about your family, you share precious memories with your, your tight-knit family. Nobody else can, you're going to tell inside jokes that only you and your siblings get. Do you do that today? Does something come up and you just laugh out of nowhere because it takes you back to that memory that only you and them would remember? The intimacy, the closeness, that's what we have here, and that's encouraging because we share in Christ. Go back to chapter 2 and verse number um, 9. I want us to think about this idea of sharing, that all of us are in the same place on the same team. He says in verse number 9, But we see him for who a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for who? Just himself, just a few, for everyone. And so if you're looking for a religion that is all inclusive, you've come to the right one. Because the sacrifice that Christ gave was for everybody. Not everybody will take benefit of it. Not everybody will accept that gift. But the gift was expressed on behalf of all humankind. That's what was done. Drop down to verse number 11. For he, Christ, who sanctifies, and those who are all sanctified, have how many sources? One source. Where do you get your teaching, church, from Christ? Where where do you get your example, church, Christ? Where where do you get your your traditions, uh, church, from Christ? It's all one source. That's that's the head of the body. The head of the body tells the rest of the body, here's what you do, here's what you believe, and here's what you practice. It's simple. Not easy, but it's simple. Drop down to verse 14. The same idea of sharing is here. Since therefore the children, children of who? The children of God. What do they do? They share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Guess what we also share in? If you are a Christian, you share in the winning squad. You are a part of the winning team. You know, just a few weeks ago, I was watching sports. Believe that, me watching sports. I'm watching a basketball game on TV, and the announcer said, "Here's this player who is really a bench player. He doesn't see many minutes. I forget his name. That's how that's how much uh, that's how well known he isn't. I, I didn't even know his name. But before the game started, he's on a different team now. But he was on last year's championship-winning squad, the Milwaukee Bucks." He was on that team as a bench player. Well, he got traded in the offseason. Now he plays for a different team. Still doesn't start, still is on the bench, but guess who was honored at the beginning of that game? He was. And in that ceremony, he was acknowledged because he was a part of the winning team. Even though he didn't necessarily play, he was part of the team and he got to try on his brand new championship ring, something I've never had. The luxury of trying on but you think about what that means when he says therefore the children of God all share in the way that Christ destroyed death the way that Christ surpassed and and persevered through that ultimate barrier that Satan had can you believe that that victory you can be a part of that if you choose. You can be a part of the victory over death if you choose. And so when we come together, when we, when we are gathering and assembling, we are encouraged because I'm noticing you are on the same team as I chose to be on. And so I go out into the world and I know there's not many of us. I know that, but I cannot wait until the next time we come together. Because why? I'm gonna be around my teammates. I'm gonna be around my um, Christians. I'm gonna. It's similar. In the, um, in the military that has been assigned a post, and we had Maverick there, and this was right up his alley with him being in, and gone through the military. Uh, so would be the case for Chris. But I said, I think about it like this, that when we enter into the Lord's army, we have now been assigned a post, and that post is for us to guard, us to keep watch. Now, God doesn't assign us a post because He needs us. He's fine, completely fine without us. But he still chooses to assign it to us. And so then I as a Christian have responsibility and I have accountability on behalf of myself and the fellow soldiers of the Lord's army. Now what happens when I choose to be absent? What, what happens when I choose to fall away and desert Christ? I am thereby also deserting my fellow brothers, in Christ, um, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I've deserted my post. And so, if I could rename this, it would be, how reliable are you in the Lord's army? How reliable are you? To know that you have a hurting brother or sister in your midst, can you be counted on to be present so that your presence in and of itself will encourage them? You know, I'm encouraged now because we have quite a bit of people in this in, in this two-room two um, um, building. But if you're not here, as Josh pointed out in Bible class, if I'm here, I'm encouraging and making the environment better, and I'm contributing my thoughts and my ideas and my voice to sing and my amens to the prayers, if that's encouraging, then what's the opposite result if I'm not Just as much as I can be encouraging, I can be discouraging by me not being present when the saints assemble. Whether that's for Sunday morning services, whether that's for uh, potluck. Um, And again, I'm not trying to guilt you to stay for potluck. If you can, stay. But this fits. But whenever we come together, if you can be there, where else on earth would you rather be? Where else on earth would you rather be than with other people who have dedicated their lives to the, to the cause of Christ? I don't know of any. I don't know of any. And so the two, two reasons that the New Testament gives us for the reasons to worship God, for worship is, number one, we praise God. But also number two is I'm here to encourage others. Notice there was nothing in there about me. Now I think that's a byproduct. I think that comes organically. Because I'm worshiping the Almighty, I'm worshiping the Prince of Peace, man, He is so powerful, therefore, I'm secure, I'm safe, I'm okay. You see, that's a byproduct, but it comes from praising God. I'm encouraging brothers and sisters, and as a result, as was pointed out, because I'm encouraging, I'm the one that's encouraged. You know? A few weeks ago, I went to a support trip right before Josh went on his, and um, I was asked to speak at a, um, a missions day for a congregation there in, in Arkansas, and I was just talking with the host family. It was an elder and his wife that had housed me while I was there, and we were just talking about the work, the, the native outreach, and I was telling them story after story of people. That's, I love to do that, just random Christians that came to become Christians and where their background is, and I'm just telling stories, and at the end, their eyes are just wide open, glazing, and you know, and, and they're like, well, how did you become a Christian? And there I go telling our story, and, and at the end, she's, the, the, the elder's wife just said, you make me want to be a better person. And I'm just like, I, I'm just telling you what God has done. But when you're around people, and your response is, you make me want to be a better person, Who else would you want to surround yourself with? Now, again, that's not to highlight myself, but there are people here in this room that you make me want to be bitter for the cause of Christ. You you hold me to a higher standard, and I'm thankful for that. I'm not not angry. I'm not uh, bitter about you holding me to a higher standard. Hey, Brother Evan, that's just not what we do. That's not smart. That's not wise. You You know, what you said hurt me. That's holding me to a higher standard. But instead of reacting in anger and bitterness, I should say, thank you. Because now I know. And now I can allow God to work through me to address those problems. One more passage as we kind of close up shop here. Everybody turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. These really go hand in hand in a way because... They are both talking about the worship setting. When we come together to worship God as a congregation, this is really where we hone in on what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. Here's why I say that. Look at a few words that might be familiar to us because of the last passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 23. If therefore the whole church does what? Comes together. Guess what word that is also um, in, in Hebrews chapter 10. When we come or we gather or we assemble together. Same word. When we come together, all speak in tongues. And outsiders or unbelievers enter. They will not say that you're out of your minds. Drop down to verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together. When you are worshiping the Lord in the assembly Each one has a hymn and a lesson and a revelation. And so all of chapter 14 is the worship context. It's what ought to be done and what ought to not be done in the setting that we're in right now. Now, here's where I want to zoom in on. Paul in chapter 14 here gives us four desired outcomes for the worship assembly. Four. In other words, if we could say, what are we wanting to achieve With right now, taking to the Lord's Supper, the giving of our money, the singing together, the preaching, the reading of Scripture, the praying, what's the desired outcome? He gives us four. Number one, look at chapter 14 and verse number one. He says, to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their here are three dif- three different outcomes. Number one, for their upbuilding. You may have edification. That's the first goal. This means, this is the idea of building up some, another person in their faith. You're building them up in their faith. What does that look like? Well, have you ever received somebody that comes to you that says, I've been praying for you? What does that do to your faith? Somebody else is talking to God in their home in private on behalf of me. Wow. Wow. Does that not lift up your spirits and build your faith? Second thing he says we ought to do. Is not just build up, but he says, encourage. This has the idea of speaking life into somebody. It's what moms do the best of. You got this. You know, you have a presentation at school today, and you, you're, you're freaking out, and you're like, I don't know if I can do this, and you just talk to your mom before you go. She speaks life into you. You know, it's, it's uh, this morning, I, again, I see a video. And it's because of Mother's Day. It's this video of this uh, baseball player and his mom. Um, and man, it was only like 30 seconds long. And I'm bawling my eyes out because thinking about my mom. But the, the video is the commercial. And this, and this player who's in high school, he's playing and the game's going on. But he forgot something. So he runs to his mom who's off, right outside of the fence watching. And he says, Mom, do you got my seeds? And she says, yeah, right here. And she says, remember. Quick hands. And he says, gotcha. And he goes on his way. And then as soon as he leaves, another boy, younger, probably 10 or 11, comes back to the same mom. It's the same son, but she's remembering as the younger he gets. Now you can see why I was bawling my eyes out. And he comes back and he says, hey, mom, do you have my batting gloves? And she says, yeah, here you go. And she goes, remember, quick feet. He says, "Okay, got it. And so it's the same response, and he's going up to bat. And then the final one, he's a little tiny boy, like four or five years old. And he says, hey, mom, do you have my pants? <laughs> and she says, yes, you're okay. And anyway, she, she's like, get back out there. But every time he goes back onto the field, she breathes life into him. And as he's going back onto the field, he has the, the facial expression of, okay, I've got this now. That's what encouragement does. It speaks life into people. And so when we come into the assembly, it isn't, man. You've been gone for a while. Where you been? If y'all, that were me, I want to go right back out and leave. You know, somebody comes back in, man. So how's the how's the uh, man the new mom situation? Well, that didn't exactly feel well to me. So I'm, if that's the words that we're giving, then who would want to be here anyway? But if I come in and. And I've been struggling in my faith, and I know it. And I feel down, and I've been beating myself up already. And I come in here, and no words are said, but somebody comes and throws their arm around me. (laughs) You think I'm going to say to myself, man, I'm glad I came today. There's encouragement there. It's the young girls, as I look over here, and i got four young girls as they're sitting, and they're singing praises to God, and they haven't done anything to me directly but I'm just like man we are blessed to have young children to have older women in the church be able to take these younger girls and give their time and volunteer to teach them that's the idea is you're speaking life into people so that's the second thing achieved in the church or the assembly but number three in verse number three he says building up encouragement and the ESV says consolation your version may say comfort but the idea is you have somebody hurting and when they come into the worship setting you're helping to relieve that pain you're helping to put bandages on those wounds you're helping to address what maybe others won't give the time to address so those are the three number four I, f- I think is I believe is found in verse 19 Look at drop down to verse number 19. Paul says, Nevertheless church, uh, nevertheless in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others. And so that's the f- number 4 on what are the desired outcomes for church service. Number 1 to edify, to build up. Number 2 to encourage or speak life into. Number 3 to comfort. Or address pains and number four to instruct or to teach now what happens when you teach somebody especially if that's a non-believer well jump down to verse 24 verse 24 says but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters this is what should happen when we have visitors he is convicted by the church his heart is pricked their heart is, is, uh, is what happens in Acts chapter 2. They were cut to the heart because of the teaching, because of the love, because of the edification, because of the addressing the Lord's Supper. Everything we do should convict a non-believer. And then when they're convicted, he goes on to say, He is called to account by all. Verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, this is the unbeliever. He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Our love, our encouragement should be witnessable. It should be tangible. You should be able to see it. Somebody that has no knowledge of God, if they came into our worship assembly, they should be able to say, man, something's different about this group of people. Something's different. They're not like any other organization out there. And so that's the desired outcome that everything we do in the assembly should have the desired effect to praise God and encourage others. Some folks come to church with the wrong intentions, right? Or the wrong understanding of what worship's all about. Some may come in just to check a box. I've been here. And those are the people that you never ever see. You see them in service, but then they're gone again the people who come in and leave without encouraging and talking and and lifting others up you are not doing Hebrews 10 24 and you're not doing first Corinthians 14 you're doing the opposite of what Paul is encouraging there some will come just to take the Lord's Supper I don't know if they think something magical is in there but some folks will come just to take the Lord's Supper as if that's their, you know their their, their good stuff for the for the week and and that's gonna help them through it no the reason for this is so, so that we set our minds on the same common goal and, and gratitude, but also we see that other people are partaking of the same, the same bread and the same wine, um, juice. Number four, some may come just to hear a lesson, or some may come just to be kind of emotionally pulled. Now, all of these in and of themselves are not wrong, but there's a lot more to be accomplished than just those things by themselves. And so, as we close up, I want to encourage you. I want to, to really urge you to think about how you are doing at your post. Are you somebody that people are encouraged by? Are you somebody that speaks life into people? Are you somebody that is not a Debbie Downer, but you are positive because you know how God works in people's lives? There's an important part because you and I both, all of us have a responsibility to help one another get to heaven. That's our part, not all of our responsibility, but we have a big part in that. You getting to heaven and me getting to heaven, that's something we both have a shared responsibility in. Amen? And so I hope that made sense. Tried really hard not to overlap so much with Bible class, but hopefully you go back and you look at those two passages. Hebrews 10, 1 Corinthians 14. Those go hand in hand. As Dave makes his way up to lead us in our um, invitation song, if there's anybody here that uh, maybe is not a Christian and you've been thinking about this thing for a while, come let us know and we can talk to you about it. If there's anybody who is a Christian but needs encouragement, prayers, hugs, then we would love to do that for you right now as we stand.